When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod. Use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. U.S. stocks end with strong gains. What's driving the rebound in risk assets? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We are so lucky to have Mish Schneider, the Director of Trading, Education, and Research at MarketGage.com with us today. Hi, Mish. Hi, Maggie. Welcome back. It's been too long. We've all been toiling over the summer and dealing with these crazy markets. Um, so it's great to have you here today on a Friday to help us wrap this week because there's so much going on. And you look at every single asset class. I mean, it's amazing. You are like beyond the Swiss army knife of this stuff um, and have so much institutional knowledge. So we're going to try to get through as much as we can today. Stocks, commodities, bonds, cryptos, emerging markets. I mean, you name it. Um, but what, I, what I'd like to do is have all of you listening help guide us here. So what do you want to hear about the most? What are you confused about? What's in your portfolio? Get us your questions and we'll try to get in as many as we can. Okay. So I will kick it off and I want to talk about stocks first because we just closed the U.S. session. We saw a rally today, pretty decent looking one. Equities breaking that three week losing streak. But, you know, when we stepped back, we're like, wait a minute, not much in the world really changed. Like, What's going on here? So what are you looking at, Mish? You know, when you looked at the stock action today and and really over over the last few weeks, what are you paying attention to here? Well, clearly, I think if you look at the psychology of the market and the investors, there's a couple of things going on. And it seems to me like, especially when we look at Europe, that there's a philosophy now that things can't get much worse. So things can't get much worse, ergo bullish. I mean, there's, it's kind of a perverse way, but that's how the market is because it's forward thinking. And the same thing that happened here. It felt like things were okay and we don't really think they're going to get much worse. So that means things could actually get better. We've lived, survived Jackson Hole and all the rest. And so really, the fact is that the market from June to August had gone through a 50% return on that, if you look at the high to the low. And in some sectors, stayed there. And that's what really started getting me interested. And in other sectors, failed and went more like a 66% if you're kind of a Fibonacci type person, correction. And then oversold and philosophy changes. And you had a couple of other Fed people come out and say, 
well, you know, Powell's saying one thing, but we're saying we think CPI is going to be softer and inflation is peak and yada, yada, yada. And that's all you need to get the investors back in. Yeah. So that's kind of what happened. That yeah, that that's so interesting, and you know, I and I I was I was speaking to a European who's saying the same thing. So it's it's not what's going to happen; it's kind of what's priced in. How much is already priced in from a market psychology point of view? That's that's the important point. I think that can be confusing sometimes because yes, there it probably is going to be tough sledding in a lot of different ways, and we do have a lot to get through. But it's already what's been baked in. So when you look at that, though. Would you be buying the dip here or are you still a little cautious about that? And we're speaking really broadly so we can get a little bit more granular if it's certain areas look attractive versus others in equities. But the people who have bought the dip this year have been burned. It hasn't been working. Absolutely. Well, I mean, more than ever, you really have to have some knowledge of the charts. I mean, I always say that, of course. But it seems to me that right now, if you just knew what a 50-day moving average was and a 200-day moving average was, and you just followed it when it broke above a 50 after this last correction, you buy, you get out, if it breaks down again. And if we get anywhere near the 200, you start taking profits. And if you're lucky, things will continue. And it's really kind of, I think, the good news is, is I think there's $25 billion worth of new retail money that's come in since COVID that they have an active mindset, number one, which is why we're seeing some volatility. And number two is I actually think they're interested kind of in education, which I find very gleeful because that's what we're all about here at Market Gauge. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, that, that's it. I mean, you, you really have to be nimble, I guess, is the bottom line and think forward. You know, so 75 basis points priced in already. Um, and, you know, again, Europe obviously having a huge influence with the energy problem, but people are going, oh, they raise their rates. Oh, they cut back in terms of how much people have to spend for energy right now. Um, they're also cutting back on how much you can actually consume, not just in dollars, but in terms of usage. You know, they're looking at alternative energy prices and obviously the United States with the money that's going into alt energy and EV space and infrastructure with semiconductors also could be giving people somewhat of a relief. So they're going, ah, that's it. Worst is over. So this is a good dip to buy to answer your question, because not only maybe the worst is over, you know, hey, I don't think so, because I think commodities is going to come back into play and we can talk about that later. But what I do think is that we have such a good line in the sand. If you just know how to read a 50-day moving average and you look at the S&P 500, we cleared it at 402. 410 has been resistance. We get through 410. Things will go higher. We break down under 402. Probably get ready for some other shoe to drop. Right. So when you're saying... When you're saying it's a good dip to buy, we always have to talk about time frame, right? And I know that you're you're always nimble and you watch the charts all the time. So this is not a buy the dip and walk away and forget about it. This is maybe a short-term opportunity, but you've got to watch. Do you think we're going to retest those lows again? Is this the kind of thing where it's bouncing in a range, but we're going to you know, retest that low that we saw, I think, back in June? If... Yes, if a couple of things happen. We have a, a policy mistake by the Federal Reserve. So let's say they do raise by 75 basis points, and that's expected. But then they kind of say, well, you know, we're going to hold it off here. B, 
If the dollar starts to really fall, that will initially be very positive, obviously, for equities, but also for commodities. C, if Mother Nature, who has definitely had a lot to say this year between droughts and floods, and now I just heard storms are coming into the East Coast, and then you had Pakistan flooded, 500-year-to-worst drought in Europe, China, Yangtze River dried up. I mean, if, if that keeps going and we don't have a relative calm for the winter, that could be a factor. Geopolitics could be a factor. I mean, right now, everybody's kind of like, okay, yeah, right, Ukraine, Russia, war, yada, 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 who cares? But anything can erupt anywhere. So, you know, these are the things you have to kind of keep your eye on. But mm. these are crystal ball type things we don't know. If we just look for at everything and where there, it is right now, if the Fed could pull off the soft landing... There actually, and we have a midterm election, let's throw that in too. There could be some opportunities here for more of a buy and hold, mm. but I, but, but, but I would still never take my eye off the ball, really. Yeah. I, I'm not comfortable. I'm not saying we're going into some major bull run. This is still a bear market rally. That's the important point. Okay. So Oliver asking, uh, the question for you, are you thinking the market is expecting peak inflation and peak rates soon? Feels like the market is building that in with tech leading this week and energy getting hit. You're absolutely right. That is exactly. And this is exactly what happened, by the way, from July to August when you had that big rally. All of a sudden, there became this herd mentality that the Fed was going to pivot. And there's been no evidence of that. If you listen to Powell, he's like, no way. We're, you know, we're yeah. fighting inflation and we're going to beat it back to a pulp. Um, Brainerd and Meister and a couple of other people have been a little bit more dovish in terms of their talk. So, uh, yeah, I think the, 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 the market hears what it wants to hear. And right that, now, that's what it's hearing. And CPI will probably be softer. Let's face it. Just look at oil. We went from paying closer here in New Mexico, $5 a gallon, to now it's down to like three thirty nine. dollars you know, that's that's like, oh, wow, oil crisis. Yeah, it feels like a bargain, whereas if it had yeah, been exactly. when we went from two to three, it was a disaster, right? It's all relative to where we've been. Right. But we still have a shortage of raw materials in the world, and we have a demand that's still relatively cool, particularly globally, particularly if you look at China, which is still on COVID lockdown, hard to yeah. believe. Um, and so if Europe can warm its way out of its situation and China comes back, and the United States starts to feel a little bit more confident. There's your spike in demand. But still, these things don't get created overnight. Raw materials, they don't just, you don't just have them available at your disposal. Even if you hear Ling ships are going back and forth, if they don't have much oil to carry, if the, if the uh, granaries don't have much grain in them, it, it, the demand goes up, we're back into an inflationary environment, which... I think using my crystal ball, we haven't seen the worst of yet. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So before, and that's big. And what, let's, let's just go back to bonds for a minute before we move on to commodities, because I know we're going to spend some time there. So, stock market might be a, a short term 
buy here from from a sort of technical point of view and a sentiment point of view becomes maybe a, a buy and hold if it looks like a soft landing is shaping up uh, type situation. Bonds. Uh, I think Oliver asked about peak bonds. W w bonds have been tough. So they've not been the safe haven. People have gotten burned on them this year. We've seen stocks and bonds moving down together. It's been really tough for people. 60-40 portfolio has not worked. I know you don't like that anyway. But what, what are we looking at? We saw equities rally today and we saw bond yields moving up. Again, not the kind of action we'd expect to see. The 10-year at 3.3% and change at the end of the day. What are you expecting when it comes to bonds? Do you think we've seen peak rates? Do we have further to go? Again, I think it's really going to depend on what happens here over the next few months with oil prices and energy prices in general. Oil, one of the reasons why oil has come down, speaking of demand, is because of the recessionary fears. And of course, then therefore the oil demand comes down. So I think in terms of the interest rates, <clears throat> People are saying 3.75 to 4% could be the peak. We're not quite there yet. Maybe that happens after the next Fed meeting on the 21st. But I actually still believe that if you just look at how the Fed has behaved over the last several years, they're more reactive than preventive. Mm. So I do believe that we may see a short-term peak in the rates because they're like, we're out of the woods. And then something happens. And again, I've just listed all the different variables that could happen. And now all of a sudden they're forced to raise even higher to try to get the inflation under control and do that demand destruction. You know, the flip side of things can't get any worse, so they must get better is things have gotten better. But how much better can they get? That's bearish. And yeah. that's why we're in these sort of trading ranges that you see. It's all psychology. So yeah. In terms and it's of the God, a lot sorry. of it is being led by energy, right? I mean, that is what we can, energy and inflation, that sort of, you know, that that pair is, uh, it, it seems to be where all roads lead back to. Well, that and food. And you know, Maggie, the how many times have we talked about food prices in yeah. the last couple of years? And again, all of a sudden, you don't hear anything. And actually, people are thinking food prices have come down. Some of the grocery chains have actually posted great earnings, like Kroger, for example, because it's like, oh, wow, you know, food's not that expensive anymore. But meanwhile, if you look at wheat, corn, soybeans, today, coffee, sugar, my favorite, all of those rally, DBA rally. Now, DBA has a, a, a an interest rate component to it, but it also represents a lot of the grains. And that has not, I, I thought that was kind of alarming. I mean, I'm happy because we're long DBA and we're long sugar, but on from a commodities perspective, trader, but from a human being consumption perspective and concern for the world at large in the United States, that was very alarming to see that today while the market was going up. So people... You have to not take those blinders off and look at the whole thing. With the bonds, junk bonds have really been the lead indicator, even more so than the long bonds or the TLTs with the rates. And that's because the junk bonds right now have held the bottom and people have come in and bought high yield, high debt. So uh, actually, Brian and I were having a little conversation before the show. Either the bond traders have become the stupidest people in the world. Or they, too, have gotten a clue as opportunists, which is what you really have to be in this market. And they took advantage of things being so cheap. And we'll see that turn around if the junk bonds can't manage a, a bigger rally from here. 
Mm. Yeah. And that's not a part of the market that people look at all the time, right? HYG, is that is that what you use for that? Well, I typically use J and K, but most people like to look at HYG. So looking at HYG, it actually had an interesting move. Today, it cleared what we call the six-month calendar range, which is basically established in early July and then tends to run for six months till it resets in January. It's not the end-all, be-all indicator, but it's a good indicator to see relative strength on things that clear it versus things that fail it. Like at the beginning of 2022, everything failed at six-month calendar range low in January. And now here we are in July, and so many things have crossed above it. Mm. So the junk bonds finally crossed above it today, but is right under the 50-day moving average. So there goes that 50-day moving average again. Um, maybe the best indicator we've got right now, if junk bonds continue up from there, that's a risk on. If it start, starts to roll over next week, not so much. So when we look at commodities, because this is, we saw the big move, we saw it pull back. You just mentioned ags. I just want to make sure that I, I understand. So do you expect those to rally and continue to rally? Because it did seem like it dropped off the radar. We had all these concerns about famine and shortages. And, you know, some of the charts looked crazy. They were so high, especially wheat. And then all of that post-Ukraine war concerns seemed to just fade into the background. And we really hadn't heard about it. And I know some of them, you know, had a big reversion down. So where are we with the outlook for um, for agricultural commodities right now. How are you feeling about that as we head into year end? Let's put a time frame on it. Well, let's go back to the 1970s, shall we? Let's put on those bell bottoms and love beads and peace signs because we're really, 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 really still there in some ways in that we had the big rally in commodities in the mid-70s. Then we went into like a bad brief recession for a period of time. And then we had a little bit more accommodative monetary policy. And then whammo, we had geopolitics and all the rest with the Nixon impeachment and the Vietnam War. Then we had Jimmy Carter as president. And it's this was, people like to blame a president. I've lived through eight different presidencies in the years I've been trading. And you can always blame a president for something. But the point is, is that if you look at it from a historical cyclical basis, that's why I'm saying, we haven't really seen anything yet. And so going back to your point, have we produced more corn? Have we produced more? Well, rice in China is also having trouble. Sugar crops, you know, coffee crops. Have we really produced enough if we get a new spike in demand? Not really. And, you know, there's even a shortage of gold, physical gold. There's a, there's a shortage of, of actual oil. We just leaked more out of our strategic reserves here in the U.S., which we don't have that much of. OPEC is still saying there's you know, not enough there. So I'd say just watch raw materials. If the raw materials have to go through its cycle of replenishment, then we are definitely concerned, yes, about food prices and commodity prices in general. And by the way, we are long gold and silver. Again, we've been actively trading that. We buy like every time it looks like pure dog do, we buy it. <laughs> And then when everybody starts jumping into the bandwagon, we sell it until one day it'll just keep going up. Oh, right. So that so this is what I think this is what has been tricky for people who are who are not as sort of day to day plugged in watching it because they they get on board and it doesn't work. So you've been in and out, in and out, having to be really nimble. But you do think there will be a time. Is that for silver and gold or just silver? Well, silver right now is, I think, more interesting than gold because. It has an industrial use. 
Obviously, it's used in EVs as well as other types of manufacturing. It's so cheap. I mean, it's almost hard to believe how cheap it is relative to the cost of equities, relative to other raw materials, um, you know, where you had sugar basically triple in value since 2019. Silver is really basically just limping along at about $17 an ounce. So $17, $18 an ounce. So if you think about, you know, just going back in time from its peak to now it's, well, peak was $40. So let's just go after it peaked. It kind of stabilized it around, I don't know, four or five, $6 an ounce. So it's a little bit more than double. And you look at the price of, let's say the Dow Jones industrial, which is 30 times more than what it was back then. It just, to me, means this is going to go up in value. But of course, gold has a different thing. Gold will react not only to inflation out of control, but if people think that the whole world is out of control. And right now, we've kind of gotten back into a relative calm. So I would look out for that, too. Stirrings that you start to see in the Middle East, potentially, Mm. or in China, potentially, or even here domestically in the United States. Yeah. And, And on the commodity point, it's interesting because what you're saying is, okay, commodities are down because of the anticipation of demand destruction. but And if, higher rates. And higher rates. But yeah. if you get through that and you're in a soft landing scenario and you're not going to be in a long, severe recession, the minute that demand comes back, there's no, capa- there's no supply to deal with it. So you, you're either... You're either looking at a recovery, which is going to mean higher commodity prices, or they'll be low, but that's because you're in the toilet because it's recession. So there's no good, there's no good angle there. So if you're feeling good about everything else, then you need to pivot back to commodities. Yes. And that's what's been the classical move through the course of decades. So, um, you know, it's the perfect hedge against bad times. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Now, you know, with gold, the other thing that's interesting about gold is if we do go into a recession, And we get in again into something that looks like, I don't know, I mean, some people like Ray Dalio are saying civil war. I don't know if I would go that far because I I, kind of really do think about this. Like what would make Americans just go, that's it. I've had enough. You know, that 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 famous movie network where he goes, you know, I I, I can't take it anymore. I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. (laughs) What would make Americans do that? Are we there already? I feel like everybody's mad as hell and can't take it anymore. No, we are still so complacent because what really would affect the Americans, I mean, think, you know, Boston Tea Party, what finally brought us to a revolution? What finally brought us to a civil war? Money, Mm. economics, right? All the other social unrest and what happened with Roe v. Wade and whatever whatever your cause is, gun violence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter. What really is going to impact anything is if we do go into a recession and people all of a sudden realize that they have been screwed over somehow. You know, uh, people love to blame everybody right now. I've heard everything, you know, from this is all Biden's fault to this is all Trump's fault. It doesn't matter to me. What's really going to matter is if you get a collective consciousness is that in general, we're just screwed. doesn't matter who's there. They're screwing us right and left. And that's going to be because they can't go out and afford to do anything. We are pretty far from that level. And I don't want to see that happen at all. But yeah, I always like to, you know, imagine the worst case scenario. What what could go there? Well, yeah, you've got got to try to protect against it, right? So are you you also long and bullish on oil, on energy? 
We right now are really, we haven't bought, we, well, we were in oil. We got out. We took some money off the table. We were long a lot of energy, ETFs and stocks. I think we're pretty much flat into the energy right now. Actually, today, James and I had a conversation about natural gas because we were in. Natural gas was something I called when it was trading at like $7 uh, on and now, of course, you know, it's up. It went all the way up. And now it's trading. I think it closed today at around 27, 28. Um, we're looking at that. Maybe it just eked its way above the 50-day moving average. And people have sort of reached some kind of relative calm. So it could be that if it gaps up higher on Monday, that might be an interesting thing to look at. But yeah, oil and energy is not my interest right now. My interest is still food and now actually really precious metals, I have to say. I, I'm just feeling it in my bones, even though they're still sold near the lows. But that gives you a good risk, right? If you're wrong, you'll know it right away. Yeah, right. And it's all about, uh, you know, as you've talked about a million times and we have on the Academy, it's all about sizing your risk. So Ralph asking, what's your view on copper? Well, I've been actually, I've been in and out of COPX and what's been frustrating about that trade, we're flat right now, but what's been, and FCX, I've looked at that too, but let's just focus on COPX because I've been trading it. So I have the chart in my brain. It's been trading between 28 and $33 for like, it seems to me like forever since I started playing around with it, which I think was in June once we bottomed out in the market, but it didn't really go very far. So I would say copper is interesting because from a recession standpoint, it's not going to be the bullish move that silver and gold, let's say, can make. If we can get our way into some kind of level of economic growth, then that would be good for copper. Obviously, the housing market is going to be a factor, too. And people keep talking about this big collapse in the housing market. I, you know, it's regional. I don't see it. I just see the normal uh, amount of set come roll back in terms of mortgages that rates are now not even that high. I mean, five, six percent. They're still double where they were, but still not that crazy. So I'd say with copper, let's look at it from a more technical standpoint. And if it can get through this 33, 34, if you're looking at COPX, you know, you probably have your risk down to around 28. And if you're going to catch a bottom, you have a lot of upside. And if it can't really hold those levels, you don't even have to wait for 28. Get out. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Great, great uh, to, ha- to have some specifics on that. Want to ask you about crypto. Want to jump to crypto because we we led into this saying the rebound in risk assets, and we did see it not only in equities but also in crypto. Big move for Bitcoin today, up ten percent. Ethereum up over five. Bitcoin back above twenty thousand. Uh, what do you, what are you seeing in that space? What are you watching in crypto? Well, you know, I always talk to Holden Milstein, who is our crypto analyst and uh, writes the Crypto Pulse commentary every week. And actually, he and I did a session with Ash. Yeah, a the Crypto Daily ago. Briefing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll tell you what he says, and then I'll put my twist on it. So he says, stay away. He thinks that September is the worst time to invest in cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to buy Bitcoin. He doesn't want to buy Ethereum. He thinks this rally today was nothing more than a relief rally. 
and that at some point it can just turn right down and he doesn't say collapse, but he definitely thinks that we're in this sort of range, right? So I say that if you look at the chart, first of all, Ethereum has kind of been on my radar even more than Bitcoin because Ethereum has some good fundamentals with the merger coming up. And also Ethereum's chart, instead of looking like a big old head and shoulders top that could potentially break in Bitcoin under 18,000, it almost looked more like an inverted head and shoulders bottom. But it cleared the 50-day moving average while Bitcoin is still below. That's another thing. So here's the thing that Holden would like to say. He looks at Bitcoin more related to the growth stocks and the NASDAQ. If NASDAQ's doing well, Bitcoin will do well. It's a risk asset. Right. He looks at Ethereum more tied to the S&P 500. If there's any kind of real growth that could potentially be happening, then Ethereum will benefit. That's kind of his thing. Now, just looking at it from a pure technical standpoint, I thought that if Ethereum can hold above 1670, maybe it can get up to about 22, 2300. I don't expect more than that. Bitcoin, maybe like really kind of 22,000, 23,000, maybe 24, 26 would be max. But if you put up a chart and you look at the last three months, it actually almost reminds me of a Tesla chart that I looked at a few years ago, where it went like between 240, I think, and 300 for like months, six, seven months. Every time it got to 240, people, the bulls would come out. I mean, excuse me, every time it got to 300, the bulls would come out, it would go down to 240. Every time it would get to 240, the bears would come out, it would go back up. And then one day it took out 300 and it just went off to the races. And that's what I'm looking for for Bitcoin is let's have this consolidation go on maybe another month to ideally the rest of the year. And then we can see which way the range breaks. I'm still long term bullish, though. Now, a couple of emerging trends you're looking at, um, which I think is great because it amid, amidst all of this volatility, and it sounds like people still have to be nimble. They have to watch what's going on. There's a lot of cross currents. So even when you like what's happening on a technical basis, you're, you know, kind of holding tight with conviction because there's just too much that's unpredictable. So, you know, you can't, you, you've really got to watch the charts. You've really got to be nimble here and not take any outsized bets if I'm hearing you. So, but, but of course people are always looking for opportunity and always looking like, what, what can I do in this environment? Um, so I love that you threw us a couple emerging trends and cannabis is on there. Somebody else was just talking to me about cannabis recently. Um, I think I was, I was talking to Tony Greer. He, his PL on that is wiped out, unfortunately for him. And so he's not allowed to buy any right now, even <laughs> though he likes the space. Um, what are you looking at it for cannabis? Well, you know, there's a couple of things. First of all, it's a crop, it's a commodity. And a lot of marijuana is grown in California, which is having its own, not only energy issues, but it's also having drought and water issues. And I just read a whole article that the cannabis industry could be impacted by that, although they can go inside and grow hydroponically. There's a couple of disadvantages to that. Number one, is that it costs more money. Two is the seeds, from what I've read, aren't necessarily as high quality as when it grows outdoors. And three, the equipment to buy for hydroponic growing is expensive and you have to get a, quite a lot of things. Whereas you throw it in the ground and you just have to separate the seeds, et cetera, et cetera. Both scenarios to me though, spell some kind of supply shortage that will be happening in the cannabis space. And I just don't think that people are thinking about it. The second thing is, of course, what happens with the government. And I read this report every day um, about all this. This guy in particular, I can't think of his name right now, but he follows all of the news and the headlines very 
closely. And he put out an article today that there is congressional chatter Mm-hmm. That may not get passed in time, let's say, for this new uh, Congress session that's in and into the midterm elections, but is still on the table about the interbanking regulations and really softening the grip on that when it comes to um, cannabis space. So with all of that said, I love a fundamental reason, but like you just said with Tony Greer, it can still wipe you out mm-hmm. if the technicals aren't set up. Tilray is my focus right now because... It's cheap, okay? $3 has been like a wall of support. It never broke $3 even on this last dip. It's now trading, I think today closed about $340, $345. If this can get through, and I'll give you a number, or we're already long it, but and, and we have our stop under three. If it could get back over $375, and MSOS had a nice little rally recently, and it's come already back down to I would take a shot. I mean, that's something I would just put my stop in under three and walk away and not think about it. Yeah. And, and like you say, it's, you know, it's, it's priced, right? So you're, if you're going to take a punt on it, it's not going to, it's not going to be one that you have to have a huge amount of capital to do and see what happens. Uh, Marathon digital. What are you looking at there? Well, okay. So this is more related, obviously. Well, Marathon Digital, of course, is Bitcoin related and mining related, but it had a really nice breakout today also cleared the 50-day moving average and now is trading over 14. I think it closed somewhere around 14.40. And I just like that company. I think that they have been a solid company. Um, I think today, out of all the consolidation where Bitcoin and Ethereum are still sort of in that consolidation mode, that actually broke out of that consolidation. So I think it gives you a good opportunity, maybe short-term. I'm not saying long-term on this one, like I just did with cannabis. Let it hold 14, give it a little wiggle room. And, you know, if the market stays good, we might be able to see a nice little rally up, maybe say 17, 18 or something. Again, short term. Nice. And I love this one's on your list, but I'm about to have <laughs> myself some soon, Mish. What's what's going on here? I thought beer was dead. I thought everybody drank tequila now, at least in the States. Oh, yeah. And there was this whole thing. Uh, I forget. Uh, Fresca. Fresca. Did you hear about that? I love that? Fresca. Is that why I can't find it? Is there something going on? Yes. I've been a lifelong merged. Fresca drinker. Yeah. I did not know anybody else drank it. I um, obviously need to get out of my home studio. <laughs> what is going on? No wonder. I literally just said, what is, why can I not find this? It's like an old fashioned soda nobody cares about. You know what, Maggie, I would have never known about this either, but one uh, of the advantages of doing a lot of media is I was sitting in the green room on Cheddar opening bell this morning, and the story that preceded me was about Fresca, just introduced these things mixed with tequila in a can. Uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, I guess it's appealing to the younger generation. I mean, personally, I don't like my booze in a can, but hey, that's me. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, man. <laughs> You're far more fancy than we are. Exactly. Um, oh but my God, that's so funny. Yeah. I had no idea. I've been life hacking that for a while now, but that's because I like Fresca and I'm lazy, but now now everybody knows about it. Damn. Now you can have it with your tequila. So what's happening with Bud though? Why I should We should have oh, bought Fresca, okay. but... You know, king of beers, right? But that has nothing to do with it. I personally, if I am going to drink a beer, probably wouldn't be a Budweiser. Mm-hmm. So this is not a consumer instinct thing. This is, again, technical. I watched it go all the way down. And it seemed to coincide the bottom with, hey, guess what? Start of pro football season, which began last night. And so I looked at the chart. We bought a little bit. We actually took a little profit of it real quick today because I didn't want to be overweighted on it over the weekend. 
But I can tell you technically it clears 50. It kind of stopped right at 50 today. That's why we took a little bit off, but we're still long at around 49. So it's not like we got big money in it or anything. But if it can get through 50 and we're in the season, it's possible. And you never know. You know, sometimes the technicals precede the fundamentals, right? Maybe Bud comes out with its own version of something. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, you just don't know. That's the kind of thing that's a happy, happy event when it happens and you happen to be long a stock. But yeah, I'm looking at Bud. DraftKings is another one because of fantasy football that actually has a, a bit of a better chart position than, um, than Budweiser does. But, you know, I think it's probably Nike. You know, what are the things that do well seasonally when yeah. pro football begins? Yeah. And the, and the crazy, and that's American football for, for those of you who may not be sitting outside, but you already know that. So <laughs> we're going to wrap up with one more question. Um, by the way, Mishless at Emerging Markets. I know, Ralph, that probably has your ears perking, but we're going to have to leave that to another day. We're going to have Mish back on and, and talk about emerging markets because we never get a chance to. But I want to I sort of circle back and end kind of where we started. Christian had a, a question from YouTube, but Christian, I think you might've just missed the top of it. How much of this rebound is based on technicals and not a change in fundamentals? I think Mish is saying a lot of it is being driven by both technicals, things like the 50-day moving average, as well as sentiment, which matters, a market psychology. Fundamentals, that's where this sort of unknown still is. And I think why she's sort of being cautious or at least keeping her time horizon tight on a lot of these. But Dodging Durango's from YouTube is asking, when or where do you think the new or next low in the S&P will be? What are you looking at for that lower band, Mish, as you're kind of tracking the charts and technicals? Well, what's so interesting about the S&P is that while the Russell, you know, that's the granddaddy of my modern family, touched down the 200-week moving average, broke it, as long with granny retail and a couple of other sectors in the modern family, came back through, went all the way up to the 50-week moving average, and now is just stuck there somewhere in the middle. The SPY never did. It didn't break. It didn't even get near the 200-week moving average. So, you know, there's two camps on that, right? That means that this great capitulation that people said happened, even though we know we've seen trillions of dollars of, uh, of liquidity be removed from the market, we really haven't seen the great capitulation if you are looking at that 200-week moving average, which what is about a four- or five-year business cycle. We haven't broken it yet. So clearly, it's possible to see that 200-week moving average break down, and then we'd have to see what happened. I've heard calls for 3,400 in the SPX. I'll go with that. That sounds like a good round number to me. But 4,000 right now has really been rock solid. 3,900 turned out to be the low. Uh, which was also, by the way, the six-month calendar range high. So I think you got to look at this more like this new rally now. If it peters out, it probably means that the market, again, in its forward thinking says, okay, we were hoping things were going to get better, but they're really not going to get better. And then maybe that's going to be the time when we see the real big crash that people like Ray Dalio and then um, uh, Gross, I can't remember first name, but anyway, a couple of big people have been saying uh, will, will happen. 
Yeah. I personally don't listen to anybody, but you know that because I, I, you know, because people are just speculating, just like like you and I are. That's why I rather give you the education of what to watch for on the chart, and then you can make your own determination. Right, which is which is what we always say, right? This is a game of probabilities, and you've got to put your time frame, your investing style, your appetite for risk, and lay it on top of. Uh, you know, some of these tools uh, and then try to figure out what's the best move for you. But you gave us a huge amount of information to work on, Mish. So appreciate it. We're going to get some of Mish's charts um, in the chat on the site so you can take a look at them, what she's looking at. Um, and of course, we can continue the conversation on Twitter and elsewhere and on the site, on the RV site. And Mish, definitely come back next time. Get a checkup on that modern family, which is really helpful for the macro view. And then we'll also tackle some of the emerging markets we didn't get to today. Thank you so much, Maggie, and thank you all for listening and being with us on a long week Friday afternoon. That's right. We're getting ready to rock and roll and enjoy the weekend. In the meantime, we'll be back Monday. Ash and I are actually going to go to the SALT conference uh, in New York, which is happening over the course of three days and bring you the very latest on what's being discussed there. So that should be really interesting. Have yourselves a fantastic weekend. We'll see you all next week. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.